everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. He was only three years old when the harsh reality of abandonment would hit hard. The vivid memory of his father, suitcase in hand, walking out, and without a word, no goodbyes, no hugs, no son I love you, just gone. What would transpire in the days and years ahead is something no child should have to endure. A mother whose alcoholism, promiscuity, and volatile behavior would lead to a stabbing, a death, and a prison sentence, and a family torn apart. But for the grace of God, a praying grandmother, and mentors along the way, my next guest may not be here today. Here to share his amazing story and more in a first-ever exclusive is former collegiate All-American, Olympian, NBA Georgia Sports Hall of Famer, and now pastor, leader, and motivational speaker, NBA great Al Wood. Pastor Wood, Al, if I may, welcome to Testimony. Well, it is indeed a pleasure to be here. Glad to uh, be a part of your show. Well, it's an honor to have you, sir. Al, we first met at the Media Fellowship International Gathering where just the beginning of your story seriously piqued my interest, not to mention your height. I think you're six foot six? That's correct. Wow. You also gave a stirring reading of scripture that silenced the entire room. A reading that resounded depth of knowledge and conviction. My husband Dan and I wanted to know more. So for part one of our two-part conversation, would you take our listeners, Al, on your faith journey beginning at age 10, and then let's segue into your amazing career and life of overcoming. Al Wood, please tell us your story. Well, at age 10, I like to think of it as starting the second part of my childhood, because the first part of my childhood from birth into 10 was uh, was a pretty rough uh, childhood, but at age 10, I was adopted by my grandmother as a result of my mother uh, being in prison for murder, and uh, me, along with my three brothers and my baby sister, were taken away from her, and by the grace of God, my grandmother took us in. And from that point on, uh, we just had a whole different life, a whole different life than what we had known previously, myself, as well as my brothers and my sister. Uh, my brothers played basketball. I used to play what they call pickup basketball, but I, I never played on an organized basketball team. We didn't have very much at the time. My grandfather had just passed as I moved in with him. Uh, my grandmother was on uh, Social Security, and I uh, had one auntie that was living in the house as well. So we, uh, I guess you could say we, was, we were poor, but we didn't really know it because we had a lot of love in the house. Mm-hmm. And then as I began to... Um, play basketball, I started to grow. I grew a lot. From the time I was uh, a eighth grader, I was about five, eight and a half, five, nine. And by the time I became a uh, ninth grader and started basketball season, I was six, four. So I grew a lot. And it was uh, a rough time as well because physically it was very painful. But I began to grow in basketball. 
got a little better as a freshman. As a sophomore, I got even better. Now, along the way, though, I had some unbelievable mentors. I had a guy by the name of Robert Curtis. I had a guy by the name of Eddie Dudley, who were just phenomenal in my life. They had probably the most impact in my life than anyone at that particular time, in particular being a male um, role model for me because I really didn't never had a, what I considered to be a male role model. And then by the time I got to be a senior in high school, I was a uh, high school All-American. I was 6'6 six, six at this time. I was recruited by every college in the United States. I could go to school anywhere I wanted to. I guess you could consider me to be what they would call a pretty much a straight-laced kid. I did everything by the book. I went to bed early. I used to get up early. I wasn't running around. I wasn't drinking, wasn't doing drugs. I was just focused on trying to be the best basketball player in the world that I possibly could be. And I chose the University of North Carolina my senior year to go to school. And when I uh, got to the University of North Carolina, like so many other uh, high school students, not necessarily athletes, but just students in general, uh, once you get to the university, a lot of things change. You meet all these different people from all these different backgrounds, and then people begin to influence you. Well, it was no different. Although I was an athlete, it was no different for me. That was a tremendous amount of influence coming from all different directions. And at this time, I began to uh, really stray away from all the things that my grandmother had taught me. She had taught me a lot of things. I used to go to church. I would go to a holiness holiness church. Um, I would go to a Baptist church sometimes, but most of the time I was going to a, a church of God, a Pentecostal, a holiness church, whatever you want to call it. We stayed a very, very long time. And it was, uh, it was just amazing. I thought all churches did that. I didn't realize that it was so different. I didn't know anything about a uh, Methodist. Uh, I had gone to a Baptist church. I didn't know anything about Catholics. I had no clue, none whatsoever, uh, because I would go to church, but I really was not uh, being discipled, so I didn't know a whole lot. So it wasn't like I was reading uh, and studying and really trying to grow as a, as a uh, believer. In fact, I didn't really didn't know what a believer was at that particular time. Right. You so, said that there wasn't really any teaching, training, or discipleship. Your grandmother was musically gifted, and the worship was great, but that's about where it ended. Yes, I would say it, I, that's where it pretty much ended. We read some, but as you know, as an adult now and as a teacher myself, I can't take it for granted when I'm speaking to individuals that they know what I know, or they just uh, I can't make the assumption that, they understand and have clarity of Scripture the way the Lord has really blessed me and shown me some things. So the best way to know that is just ask the question. And the truth is, I never was really asked that question. So here it is now. I just really used to keep hid what I didn't know. I didn't want people to know what I didn't know. There was a lot of things that I didn't know, so I pretended that I know. And I really was never confronted or asked questions that could reveal the facts that I didn't know. What was the reason for that, Al? I think that as I as I look back at it, I, we have this um, certain persona, in particular with athletes, as if um, we know a lot of things that we really don't know. I never never will forget uh, watching Muhammad Ali one time on Meet the Press, and they started asking him all these questions. And then Muhammad Ali's answer was this. He said, I never said I was the smartest. I said I was the greatest. <laughs> and and that stuck with me. And what he was saying was, I'm, I am great at what I do, 
but yet still there's a lot that I don't know. That was a great seed uh, that was planted, I'm sure. I want to take our listeners back to a time you shared with me off the record when you were 12 years old. You didn't even have a pair of tennis shoes to play the game of basketball. You said you saw your older brothers playing. You saw the cheerleaders, the excitement, and you determined at that age, at age 12, that that's what you wanted to do with your life. And one day you were given a brown paper bag. That is correct. It was one of the most exciting days of my life because in that brown paper bag was a pair of Chuck Taylor Converse tennis shoes, low tops. And they were given to me by a guy who um, became my mentor. He became my uh, basketball coach in high school and really a father figure and a great friend as I got older. His name was Robert Curtis. And he gave me that pair of tennis shoes, and I was so excited because now I had a pair of tennis shoes that I can compete with everyone else, and I didn't have to try out for the basketball team or try to play basketball just in my socks alone. So that was a real exciting time for me, and uh, we we talked about that many many years after that had occurred. And uh, as I look back, it was a it was a great moment for me because there was something as I went to those basketball games that got me so excited. And that was something that was stirred on the inside of me. And I knew at that point that I really wanted to play basketball. Now, I didn't know how good I was going to become. Uh, I didn't know how much talent I had. I just wanted to play basketball and have a lot of fun doing it. And that's what I attempted to do. Wow. Now, did your father ever re-enter your life? Were you visiting your mother in prison? What were the relations like with your own family? How did you overcome the early chaos of your life? And what was the pivotal point, Al, that really made you call out to Jesus? Well, my mother I love dearly. She's, she's uh, dead now. My mother passed in 2004. I used to visit her on a weekly basis. Every weekend, we would go visit my mother in prison. And my father, he was out of my life. He, was, he had no part of our lives at all. I never, I never saw him. I, I, I ran into him once, and someone told me that it was my father. I didn't even realize it was my dad at that time. I saw him once more about three years ago. So I, I, I've seen him. I, I am almost 58 years old, and I've seen him twice in the last uh, 50 years. So he was absolutely no part of my life. Wow. And, and from that point, really, um, again, I love my mother dearly. Once I graduated from college and my mother uh, got out of prison, she was always a part of my life until the day she died. Well, now you are currently pastor of ministry at Morningstar Fellowship and director of development at Comenius School of Creative Leadership, CSCL. You're a mentor, you're an evangelist, you're a motivational speaker. And what I find so inspiring about your story, Al, is that you don't seem to come from a philosophy of entitlement. You seem to come from a philosophy of Jesus changed my life. Now I want to give back and teach and train and give hope to those kids that didn't have the hope that I had when I was a kid. And by all accounts, you are doing a beautiful job of that. We are going to get more into your life and what you are doing now. And you speak all over the country. You've played basketball all over the world. In our remaining moments here today, Al, for someone who's listening, who has a dream of being a basketball player, 
but doesn't know Jesus, your words to them? Well, first of all, when you don't have a foundation in terms of just having a dream and having the goals, because there's a whole lot more to having dreams and having the goals and just say, I'm just going to work toward those. There has to be something within you that really drives you to do what you do for all of us. And I would say to any young person that's, that want to achieve their goals and want to go to the next level, I would say uh, open up your heart and just be vulnerable. Just pray what I call a little simple prayer. And the prayer is so simple. You just ask Jesus to come into your heart. You ask Jesus to change your life. You just, you just confess the fact that you don't have all the answers. And you're asking Jesus to help you and to show you. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to nationally acclaimed NBA Georgia Sports Hall of Famer, former All-American and Olympian, and now pastor of men's ministry, mentor, and motivational speaker, Al Wood. You can learn more about Al's work, ministry, and mission by going to MorningStarMinistries.org and invite Al to speak for your next gathering by emailing alwood to speak at gmail.com. Pastor Wood, thank you for taking precious time to share just a little of your story, your untold story, since it reflects the very example of what it means to truly overcome, as you have so beautifully done. We look forward to hearing much, much more next week. God bless you. Thank you very much. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensen Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. He's a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, a former collegiate All-American, Olympian, and NBA professional. Growing up in Gray, Georgia, basketball became a, quote, way out and a way up from the troubled childhood he longed to overcome. His God-given talents earned him Georgia State Player of the Year as a high school senior and from there would go on to set records in the ACC and NCAA. As a member of the 1980 U.S. Men's Olympic Basketball Team, my next guest garnered first-round honors and fourth pick in the 1981 NBA Draft, selected by the Atlanta Hawks, and would go on to play for the Dallas Mavericks, San Diego Clippers, and Seattle Supersonics, scoring an impressive 4,902 points in over 417 games during a 10-year run. Martin Alfonso, fondly known as Al, had it all. Money, fame, family, and a career and life that should have filled the void. So why didn't it? And what happened next? Back with us for part two of my exclusive is NBA great and Georgia Sports Hall of Famer and so much more, Al Wood. Al, welcome back to Testimony. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. 
Well, it's great to have you back. Al, to recap somewhat our last segment, you shared the harsh reality of growing up without a father, having a mother in prison, and a grandmother who encouraged you to call on Jesus when times got tough, and they did. You had great success as an NBA professional, but then your world began to fall apart. Can you explain and then take us to the victory you found in Christ and what you are doing now? Al, please tell us more. Well, first of all, I I had really believed that if I uh, had enough money, that problems would go away. And I think a lot of people believe that today. And it was no different for me. When I was coming out of college, I got drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. I was the first senior picked in the draft. And I signed a pretty good contract that first year out, and I was making real good money. But yet and still, from that point on, I was still having some issues in terms of anxiety that most people didn't know about. I was having some uh, issues with just self-confidence at that particular time, because for the first time in my life, I was really facing some major adversity because I really wasn't playing a lot, although I was on the team. I started out getting injured. I partially separated my left shoulder, and it was quite depressing to be on the team but not being able to play like I knew I could play, but I wasn't producing at that particular time. And as a result of it, I I went into what I call my little silent world where I began to uh, drink. I was was beginning to uh, smoke marijuana at that particular time. I was just doing a lot of things that were very destructive to my body and to my career at that particular time. So the Atlanta Hawks, they ended up trading me to the San Diego Clippers. And once I got to the San Diego Clippers, I met up with some old friends of mine that I had had relationships with in the past. And instead of things getting better, things really began to get worse. I uh, ended up on what they call IR, injury reserve. I wasn't playing that much. I became even more depressed. I began to drink even more, but I wasn't telling anybody what was going on within my world. I wasn't telling my family what was happening with me. Uh, There was very few friends that knew what was happening with me personally. It was just a personal uh, battle that was going on within me, and I couldn't seem to overcome it. There was something missing in my heart. There was something missing in my life, but I just could not put my finger on it. And I didn't want everybody to really know me because this is what I, I was thinking. If you really get to know me, I don't think you're going to like me. Mm. And that's a bad, bad thought to have, but that's the thought that I was having. If you really knew who I was, I don't think you're really going to like me. So I pretty much pretended a lot of times. And it got to the point where I played two years in San Diego, and then I got traded to the Seattle Supersonics. And from the Seattle Supersonics, I uh, played three years there. I had some pretty good success there. But I still was not fulfilled. There was something missing, and I could not put my finger on it. And from that point, I got traded to the Dallas Mavericks. After being traded to the Dallas Mavericks, I played only one year, and I had three years remaining on my contract, and the Dallas Mavericks cut me. And so I was out of the NBA at age 29. And at 29, you should be at your physical strength uh, as far as uh, as good as you're really going to get. But yet and still, here I was being cut by the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Now, that is very depressing because that is embarrassing. It's depressing. It's, uh, it, it's just something that you never can imagine 
if you're a top pick coming out of college and being drafted that high in the NBA. But I find myself now going to Europe to play. I went to Italy, and I played in Italy for one year. And after finishing up in Italy for one year, I came back to the United States. And from that point on, when I came back to the United States, then my life really became a personal hell because at this time I wasn't playing basketball. I didn't have no direction in my life, and I really didn't know what I was going to do at that point. Now, you were married at this time. You had a son and a daughter, you said. So not even your family was making you happy. And when we spoke off the record, you were drinking, you were gambling, you fell asleep at the wheel, you could have died. A woman got shot in the back with a bullet and nearly missed you. Obviously, Al, God had his hand on your life. But there was a pivotal point that we talked about that really shook your world that I want to get to in our brief time here today. Your four-year-old son walked in the room and gave you a picture. Can you describe that and what it did to your world? Yes. uh, One of the things that as a child myself growing up in those early years that I lived with my mother, I didn't know what an alcoholic was. And I never thought I was an alcoholic, and I never envisioned myself being an alcoholic because I thought alcoholics were the people that were on the street that push uh, shopping carts, that don't have a place to live, that have brown paper bags with their, with their liquor in it and so forth. I, I never imagined an alcoholic being a professional basketball player, a judge, a teacher, a lawyer, a preacher. I never envisioned that person being an alcoholic. So I didn't really have any clarity on what was an alcoholic. But what I do know is I did not like my mother once she started drinking. Once she started drinking, she was a totally different person than what she was when she wasn't drinking. And I used to see that transformation all the time, and it was very, very devastating, and it left us with a lot of high anxiety within the family. Mm. So here it is now, I'm thinking, I would never, ever do this to my children. There's no way I would have my children to uh, be in that situation. And so I thought, as I was doing the things that I was doing, that I was hiding this from my children because they were so young. I used to drink at home occasionally, but most of the time I was drinking out. And I thought I was hiding all of my bottles and so forth because I used to put them high up in the cabinet. But when my son walked into the room one day and he had a picture of me in my Carolina blue uniform, and all around that picture he had cut out and he had paste liquor bottles and he gave it to me he said here dad that's you and when I saw that I almost died I mean I literally my heart began to pound and I began to 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 cry like a baby when he walked out of the room because he was such an innocent gesture that he was giving to me and he thought that was great not knowing that he had really completely changed my whole life at that particular point because at this time again I did not have a, any understanding of this faith walk with Jesus Christ. All Most of the time I had been pretending, I had been going through life, I had been doing some reading, but there was no clarity for me. And so at that point, I knew that I had a problem. And what I did was I drove to Atlanta, Georgia, and I checked myself into a rehab center. And I stayed in that rehab center for 21 days. And on the 21st day that I was in that rehab center, I was outside and I was jogging around the parking lot, and I had gained a lot of weight, and I wasn't physically real healthy at that particular time. So as I was jogging around the parking lot, I began to 
reflect back on my life, especially my childhood. I began to reflect back on my grandmother. I began to reflect back on my family members, the ones who had given me so much love. And I began to cry and I began to weep like a baby. And I didn't know why I was doing this. I began to cry and I began to weep like a baby. I cried out because something that my grandmother had said to me. She told me, and I remember those words so clearly. She said, I don't care where you go in life. I don't care what happened to you. Jesus loves you. And you can always call on Jesus. And when, she, when that came to my remembrance, I began to say, Jesus, help me. I just said, Jesus, help me. I said, I've messed up my life, and I don't know what I'm going to do from this point. I just need for you to help me, Jesus. Help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. And now let I, me just interject here for our listeners, because we're running short of time. At that moment, you made a decision that you were going to follow Jesus. You went to a bookstore. You got a Bible. A lady there said, if you want to know how to read the Bible, start in Genesis, go to Revelation, and pick up a commentary while you're at it. You did that. You went to Europe, and for six months, you read the Bible backwards and forwards, the commentary, and you said to me, Al, that the word Word of God literally changed your life. You then understood and knew what it meant to be a born-again Christian, what this life of being a Christian was all about. So in our remaining moments, let's talk about what you're doing now as a motivational speaker all around this country. Tell us the rest of the story. Well, yes, what you just mentioned is so true. I went back to Europe. I went to France this particular time. And I had a lot of time on my hands, so I began to read, and I began to read, and I began to read. So I read the Bible. I had a uh, New King James Version, and I, I, I read it from Genesis to Revelation. I read the commentary with it, and then my whole world opened up at this point, because now I had some clarity and I had some understanding. Well, reading the Word of God really changed my life. In fact, what I'm doing right now is a result of reading that word. And what I do is I go around the country and I go all over. I go into prisons. I go to high schools. I go to youth groups. I go to anywhere anybody will invite me. And I just let them know just how much inviting Jesus into your life can completely change you. And as a result of that, lives are being changed. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to nationally acclaimed NBA Georgia Sports Hall of Famer, former All-American and Olympian, and now pastor of men's ministry, mentor, and motivational speaker, Al Wood. You can learn more about Al's work, ministry, and mission by going to MorningStarMinistries.org and invite Al to speak by emailing him at alwood.org. To speak, that's the number two at gmail.com. Al, your incredible work, outreach, and life giving mentorship in the prisons, our churches, team focused youth camps, and charities is restoring youth without fathers, men without a mission, and kids without a dream to victory and vision. What you never had as a child growing up, you now have as a king's kid from your heavenly father. And it's that Jesus, the greatest mentor of all, you so beautifully represent. We thank you, and God bless you. Thank you so much. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. 
If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensinebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.